You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. James Buchanan was the president before Abraham Lincoln. People should know because A, he was one of the most important people in the world. B, certainly the Civil War was yeah. critical on who was the president, right? And what made you bring it up in your uh, comedy routine? Because I was making a joke about how everybody always wants to know what their purpose in life is. So here's a guy who must have, from an early age, thought his purpose in life was to lead one of the most important countries in the world. And he achieved his dream. He achieved his goals in life. He, <laughs> he, he became the... Everyone, when they were little kids, like, I'm yeah. going to be president of the United States. He did it. He was the one little kid who grew up and became president of the United States of America. And now nobody, oh, 150 wow. years later, yeah, interesting. not a single person knew his name. And so what my point there was, and I'm, I, I was telling a joke about my daughter asking, how do I find my purpose in life? My point to her was just be happy. <laughs> because yeah. here's a guy who had a purpose, achieved his dreams, achieved his passions, achieved his goals, and nobody knew who he was anymore. Yeah. yeah.
So uh, another episode. It's a Q and A episode with with me and Steve Cohen. Hi, how's it going? Good, Steve? thank you. Up here. Uh, trying to think. Last time we started off with talking about the Google Maps stuff. Yeah. Um. Well, last time I feel like you know it was like that joke. Like, um, you asked me what time it is, and I told you how to make a watch. You know, so. I think we, di- you know, we digressed. We covered a lot of ground, and I thought. All right, it was let's go right into the questions then. Fine. Somebody, I'm somebody asked a question on Twitter, and I'm and yeah. I'm, I'm a- questions people ask me on Twitter. We're going to try to answer in these podcasts. Um, so let's just see what the, a good question is. Um, there's a lot of good questions, so I'll just read some of these, which and you could decide which one you want to answer. There's one is how do you overcome a fear of failure? Uh there's another one. Uh, what have you changed your mind about in the last few years, and why? Uh, I've changed my mind about billions of things, but we can we could see if that's the one we want to answer today. Uh, what advice do you have for someone looking for funding to start a business? Best and worst podcast guest of all time. Uh, how can I build my reading culture because it's slowly dying? I don't know what they mean by culture there. Um, and maybe a, they feel like the book industry, but I feel like it's oh, it's thriving. The book. No, no. I think yeah. I think the problem is in in a world that's uh, in a world that's glutted. You know, it's attention glutted. Yeah, yeah. How do you find time to just sit down and read a book? Like yeah. re- reading, I would say, is the single most valuable thing you can do for straight improving knowledge, wisdom, even experience, because you're get you're absorbing yeah. the experience of the person you're reading from. So reading is such a valuable thing and it's amazing to me. Like when I read a book, I'm not I not only have my own experience, I'm getting their entire life experience and I'm like a a, a, yeah. a, a mental vampire absorbing their life into yeah. mine. And 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 you know, I remember one time Stephen Dubner from yeah. who wrote co-wrote Freakonomics, we were talking and I asked him, "What percentage of a book do you think you you remember?" cuz I was feeling like I don't remember a lot yeah. from books. And I, I thought he, maybe he would say like 20% or 10%. He said probably less than 1%. And so that made me think of something uh, which has been very useful for me. So let's say let's say there's very few good books. Like out of a million books, probably less than 100 are great. And you know, it's almost like, it's not like a bell curve. It's more like the statistics around earthquakes. Sure. So earthquakes are always once in a million events. I bet you a good book is really like a once in a million sure. event. And if you're only going to retain 1% of the books you read, instead of reading lots of books, yeah. you should reread the best books oh, over and over. So that's what yeah. I that's what I tend to do is I tend to reread lots of books. Uh and, and I think that's a good way. Like if you find a book that's great yes, and you know you're only going to remember 1% of it, you should read it at least like 20 or 30 times to get 20 or 30% out of it and take notes. And I try to write even many articles. What did I learn from this book? Well, I mean, I think when, you know, one of the issues there is, okay, like if I read a book last week, you know, I remember a lot of it, you know, you know what I mean? I remember more than 1%. So it's a question of like the time, What's, how what? much time has passed. I mean, I read, um, I was reading Chelsea Handler's book because, you know, she's uh, going to be coming on and, uh, and I remember a lot of it, obviously. I mean, that, and it's also different. You know, I might remember less of Yuval Harari's book, who had come on. You know, because his books packed with a lot, a, a yeah. lot of facts. But, but I will say, 
I mean, so his his books I have read uh, yeah. more than once, all three of his books, yeah. and I do learn something each time. Particularly, oh, yeah. Sapiens is still my favorite. I love Homo Deus and Twenty One Questions for the Twenty First Century, but Sapiens has so much knowledge and history I didn't know, like you know, seventy thousand years ago, forty thousand years ago, ten thousand years ago, and then he has such kind of interesting opinions how the um, you know, agricultural revolution 10,000 years ago wasn't as good for hum for homo sapiens as people think. We yeah. might even be less intelligent now as a result of the yeah. agricultural revolution and his opinions on why is, is fascinating. But I kind of had to read and reread and have him on the podcast twice in yeah. order to get the full impact of, of that book. But speaking of why you remember things and not, like you, sapiens, the underlying theme is that humans as a group progressed through storytelling so i might remember chelsea handler's book because she's telling a lot of stories she's telling about growing up or you know product of a mormon jewish background or myriad of things about her life i can remember more readily because there's some coherence there to me you know in contrast to other books that might be more technical right so so that's another great point and somebody asked here how do you get better at storytelling but what you're talking about is the importance of storytelling if you really want to a have a lot of people read what you write or, yeah. or or listen to what you're saying and b if you want to have an impact uh and and c if you want people to you know if you, if you want your vision of the world to withstand the test of time so that even five years from yeah. now you're you're still a, a good selling book or or podcast or movie or whatever uh story t your ability to tell a story is really important so sapiens he often would get in the minds of Homo sapien in the year 40,000 BC. And I remember the questions he would ask, like, and it puts you in that time. Like, imagine before the discovery of Australia, I remember this specifically from the book, who, who was standing on like the coast <laughs> of Africa saying to themselves, I think I'm gonna take a mediocre boat that has never gone more than a few miles and go a thousand miles into the ocean, potentially off the side of the earth, and maybe I'll find a brand new continent because how far is Australia from Africa? It's like it's like thousands of miles yeah. away. And somebody had to had to make that leap and say, "Hey, this is worth going two thousand miles for right. and discovering an entire continent." Who would have known that it was there? How did they even know it was there? Right, or they could have just been like, "Hey, let's go," and then they went hundred miles and two hundred or three hundred, and that's true. So micro, like the Micronesian, Cot, yeah. the Micronesian islands were yeah. kind of discovered that way, yeah. but also, then you have to make some guesses. Why did this person think that they can make it to right. Australia or to any of these islands? Well, let's make some guesses, and this is we we learned this from Michio Keiku. Like yeah. you have kind some kind of situation or theory, and then you start being creative. Curiously, yeah, your curiosity should lead you to some answers that you can explore. So maybe. Um, they were so such good navigators then because they didn't have you know Google Maps and things like that that they got really uh, use they they understood birds flying patterns or interesting things about the the waves in the yeah. sea that are is, have have that knowledge might have been lost by now because we don't need it anymore and so they might have understood that oh there is something there we just don't know where it is it's far away but we know it's there just based yeah. on the flying like where are these birds flying from yeah they're flying from somewhere. And and so, uh, you know, he starts guessing, but he's all, all the time telling stories from the point of view of someone who lived forty thousand years ago, which is around the time we d discovered Australia. And but one thing I should say to that questioner and 
to other, most of the guests we've had here, what unifies them is curiosity, right? When you're talking about birds, I, I was just thinking about a Psychology Today piece I saw, you know, where it said like birds sometimes like play, you know, they're like dive bombing, and when you see groups of birds, and it makes you just start thinking, like, you know, not to read so passively, but to say, oh, I wonder how they did that, and to be active in it, and you're more likely to remember something the same way, you're more likely to appreciate money if you really worked for it or earned it rather than it was handed to you. Yeah, like like uh, it, that's, a, that's a really good point that I think we learn in school, okay, read this chapter because you're going to be tested on it tomorrow. Yeah. So you you learn and you you stay up all night and you wake up early like, did I remember all the facts? And then you get tested and then you forget all the facts and you forget everything you learned. Instead of being questioning like, um, you know, well, what are the ways George Washington might not have been a good president? Yeah, was sure. the Whiskey Rebellion, you know, accurately right. reflecting what he promised to defend in the Constitution? I'm not saying one thing or the other. I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't even sure. know what the yeah. Whiskey Rebellion is, really. But uh, uh, being being curious about all these things we, we mindlessly read in textbooks, I think that ruins us for later reading. Yeah. Like, for instance, take Old Man in the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. When I read this in high school, I thought it was the most boring book in the world like i couldn't believe i couldn't even read yeah. it it's a tiny novella like it was so boring i couldn't read it but now i read it at least once a year if not more i just read it even a few wow. weeks ago because you ask yourself why why did he tell the story this way why did he tell use so few words why did he tell the story so sparingly why didn't the old man you know yeah why did he if he knew that the 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 fish he was going to catch was going to probably be eaten by sharks by the time he got home. Why did he? Why was it important for him to 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 battle this fish and get potentially die and get drawn all the way out into the ocean? Like you think of these things, and it helps your ability to tell a story if you're analyzing. You know, Old Man in the Sea. Most people don't know this. It's written at a fourth grade level, and I know this because if you Google the the F dash K score, the, the Fisher Kincaid score. Uh, it, it tell and you put in um, a piece of text into one of these FK score calculators. Yeah. It will tell you the grade level that that text was written at. And so I did this with the, all the text of Old Man in the Sea. It's written at a fourth grade level, and yet it's good enough that it won him the Nobel Prize. Yeah. People think, oh no, fourth grade level. That's not an intelligent book. Then no, actually, that makes it takes the more best. work, right? Yeah. Do you, have you learned that in your writing where hindsight? Einstein has always said, right? Like, if you can't ex under if you can't explain it simply, then you don't understand it well enough. Well, well, you you a I always make sure whenever I write an article, the first draft I always know before I publish it, I'm gonna I'm gonna eliminate at least thirty percent by the time I have a final draft. Right. So I I don't publish it unless and I count the 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 words. I don't I don't publish unless I know I've trimmed thirty percent because oh, wow. I know the first draft I'm gonna have a lot of fat in the words yeah. because I'm, I don't yet know really all the directions I'm going to go. So I'm going to go this direction, that yeah, direction, yeah. and there's going to be fat in there that I could take out or that won't be as interesting or that won't flow as well. And then you see this even uh, in in jokes. So uh, Bill Burr, so Gary Goldman, who we had on the podcast recently, he talks about in his Goldman tips that he's doing on Twitter, these, these fabulous tips that he's doing about comedy, one a day for the entire year. And one of his tips is, you know, really make sure like, you know, if you write down a joke and you should write every day is what he says. If you write down a joke, uh, read it, you know, in front of the mirror, read it to your friends, read it to your voicemail 
and then listen to it over and over and take out every spare word. And so Bill Burr, uh, I saw him refer to this. So he's another well-known famous comedian. He uh, was talking about a bar where they had a kind of very inappropriate joke. And he said, he read the joke out loud and he said, that's a perfect joke. And I remember him, I, the joke itself is not that important, but I remember him saying, there is, it's perfect joke because there is not an ounce of fat in that joke. If you take any word out of that joke, the joke fails. It, it has the exact number of words in it. And he was bringing up a different point, which is that the, the manager and the waitress in this bar got fired uh, after putting that joke up and he thought that was a, a, a horrible thing. What he, but he, he said that this is a perfect joke. It should have stayed there. Like, obviously it's a joke. Yeah. And, um, but what impressed me more was his re almost religious fascination with removing every single extra word. Well, that's, that's a Mark Twain quote, right? This letter would be shorter if I had more time. And it speaks to past podcast guest Cal Newport where shallow work and deep work and it's deeper work to cut out stuff to, yeah. you know, to get rid of what you don't need. But I'm wondering, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure people look at you, you know, like anybody who does anything that's meritorious, like reading, or they'll look at you. And if, if you, if you're inclined to look at it as aspirational, they're like, wow, James makes times for this. And James got all these businesses and podcasts and, you know, family and, loved ones and comedy and you know and if they don't like you're like wow he just is you know he's, yeah he this walks guy will do he anything. walks he walks one mile a month and so of course he's got time he's not running triathlons so i think that's part of how you you definitely not run triathlon not that um i am either but again calm, even a, even down, a turtle Steve. looks even a turtle down. looks fast moving past C a rock C compared calm to down you about my you saw bolt <laughs> We use Usain Bolt as a uh, an example in the last podcast. Did I say his first yes. name wrong? Usain Bolt? Yeah, you might. I Maybe I said Ursain. Yeah, close <laughs> enough. Everybody out there knows who uh, the Jamaican sprinter is. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there and it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, 
where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try not to fuck up the glass. Tillamook ice cream, extraordinary dairy. So reading culture, to answer that question, don't try to read any book. Find like the best books for you and then read and reread them. And But I think reading is important every day. So just as an example, I every day... I read a book related to this podcast. So like Steve, you mentioned you were reading Chelsea yeah. Handler's latest yeah. book. So I'm reading that as well yeah. because she's coming on the podcast. Um, I also read a book, for, a nonfiction book for me. Yeah. So I, that's why I was reading, we talked about it in the oh, last wow. time. I was reading the book, The Formula. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. About, uh, about his kind of mathematical yeah. laws of success. And I had just finished also uh, The Talent Code, which was related to oh, that right. by which Daniel Coyle, yeah. which we, we always... Yeah, talk Daniel about. will have to get you here one of these days. Yeah, and then and then I always read uh, fiction because fiction is almost by definition going to be the best writing. And the reason is, is because if you're writing about, let's say you're writing about how to play 
how to be a great salesman. It's because you spent your life being a good salesman, not being a good writer. So you won't be the best writer of a book about being a good salesman, even though it might be a good book. So if you, for people who are aspiring writers and storytellers, you need to read good quality fiction because those are the people who spent the 10,000 hours writing, writing well, like they devoted their life to writing well, as opposed to being a great salesman or a great tennis player or a great scientist or whatever. So even like we think the quality of fiction writing is by definition better than the quality of good, like anything yeah. you have to only yeah. look at the best. So yeah. there's more bad fiction writing than 99% of fiction yeah. writing, let's just say is bad. And 1% is yeah. really good. If you read that 1% or that one tenth of 1% and even read it over and over, like my, my favorite fiction book, I probably read over 300 times. It's I read from it at least once a week since 1994. Uh, uh, and then, and then for every fiction book that I love, I constantly, I mean, like we had, we had James Frey yeah. on the podcast, his book, a million little pieces. I've probably read that 20 times. Both fiction and nonfiction. Right. Well, it was, you know, it was scandalous <laughs> yeah, for being two, for, two but, for the price of but, one, but, but that was, yes. you know, every, every kind of time in history has its BS moment. And yeah. of course, a memoir has fictional elements of it. Every, yeah. every memoir like on the planet has fictional elements. Green book is just won the Oscars and yeah, the, the Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie yeah, has like is probably many. 50% fiction. Yeah. So even though it was a great movie, I love the movie. I, I, I've watched the movie twice. Don't let facts get in the way of a good story. Hmm? Don't let facts get right. in the way of a good story. Don't let facts get in the way of a good story because the point of the story is not the facts, but, but all the other things you learn. Um, no one the remembers way, the facts anyway. And as part of a podcast bonus, James will sing Bohemian Rhapsody for you. <laughs> I don't think so, but I could break okay, dance. Fine. For, I could break. <laughs> I could break dance for this podcast. Okay, fine. Because Sorry, no one will see so that. Sing, we are the champions, which is a very good song. But yeah, yeah, all the anthem. Song. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and we we've talked about what we haven't talked on air, but because you're a genuinely curious person, we were talking in a car in Los Angeles about what makes an anthem. Right, and Queen, they even they actually refer to this in the movie. Um, yeah, that they they they're making too many anthems. They they right. they were like self-critical, like everything we make is an popcorn. anthem. <laughs> but like, but like, we are the champions, and um, you know, the one we that will goes rock next you. to yeah, yeah, we will rock you or our yeah. or, or anthems. Yeah, and then the song that they made in to contest to to be different. Yeah, was another one bites the dust. Yeah, but that's an anthem. 100%. I would I would say that's an anthem. They were saying it wasn't in the movie. But, yeah, it definitely is an anthem. Um, but we could do the anthem thing another yeah, another exactly. podcast. I've and, now totally forgotten my. Okay, no, you were talking <laughs> about how most fiction, everything has its BS moment. You were talking about James Fry, and a million little pieces. Oh yeah, just that that yeah. that that. Who cares that that? Yeah, it's still good writing. If you want to be a great writer, read yeah. read good writing. But oh oh, here's what I wanted to bring up about yeah. facts. When because you, you said don't let a good story get in the way of the facts. When I was doing stand up here a few weeks ago. I was talking a little bit about college and f the facts. And I asked every everybody in the audience, there was about 120 people in the audience. I asked them, um, who was the president b before Abraham Lincoln? And nobody, I'm not, I'm not being critical of the audience, by the way. Nobody knew, which I, I get it. Nobody knows, nobody remembers facts from high school unless they continue to follow it. And but one person even shouted out George Washington was Yeesh. the president right before Abraham Lincoln. And I, and I said, "Are you from the U.S.?" And she said, "Yes." And again, I wasn't judging. Like that's the state of education, whether you're in high school or or college or whatever. But but reading afterwards and being curious again helps you overcome. You know, like 
James Buchanan was the president before Abraham Lincoln, people should know because A, he was one of the most important people in the world. B, certainly the Civil War was yeah. critical on who was the president, right? So if you know anything about the 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 war with the highest percentage death toll of U.S. citizens was the Civil War. Yeah, this is the guy was was caused not caused by him, but he was president for the four years leading up to the Civil War. Is critical in this pivotal moment in U.S. history, and um, he was probably the the first and maybe only uh, gay president the U.S. had. Not openly gay, but most likely he was gay. So it's an interesting fact about him. That that's an interesting story, and. Um, uh, and what made you bring it up in your uh, comedy routine? Because because I was making a joke about how everybody always wants to know what their purpose in life is. So here's a guy who from the, he must have from an early age thought his purpose in life was to lead one of the most important countries in the world, and he achieved his dream. He achieved his goals in life. He <laughs> he, he became the everyone when they little kids like I'm gonna be president of the United States. He did it. He was the one little kid who grew up and became president of the United States of America, and now nobody. So oh, 150 wow. years later. Yeah, interesting. And and he was also one of the most arguably one of the most important in terms of historical figures, uh, because again the most important war in in U.S. history comes from his term and not a single person <laughs> this is very odd for 120 not a single person knew who his name and 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 so what is my point there was and i'm i, I was telling a joke about my daughter asking how do i find my purpose in life my point to her was just be happy <laughs> because yeah. what's here's a guy who had a purpose, achieved his dreams, achieved his passions, achieved his goals, and nobody knew who he was anymore. Yeah, yeah. no, for sure. And I and I think I think it speaks to. I know we both saw the Bill Murray documentary, and you and Jay did that great. You know how to be like Jerry. You know why I want to be like Bill Murray, which echoed some of the similar points in the documentary. But the filmmakers were essentially talking about how Bill Murray. You know, evokes like an ethos of like it doesn't matter, like it doesn't matter fame or this. And well, you know, you know one thing one thing yeah. they didn't mention in the documentary, which I think is really important. So, so yes, we saw this documentary, and it was all yeah. about uh, it's the stories of Bill Murray. I think the documentary was called, and it was all about uh, how not Bill Murray's movies, but how Bill Murray does these crazy surprise things out yeah. of nowhere, and. And it just brings joy to all these people. Yeah, lives. it was like, a for, lot better than I thought it was going to be. For, for like, instance, when you told just, me to watch it, I was like, yeesh. It, well, yeah. well, for instance, he'll just go, like somebody's having like a party in their apartment. He'll just like walk into the apartment and start serving beer to everyone and just like be as if he's yeah. like a regular guy hanging out with them. Or, or he'll go up to somebody in the bathroom who's peeing, yeah. put his hands around the guy's eyes and say and say to them, no one is going to believe that this, you when you tell right. them about this. So he would just do all these funny, quirky things and that has created more value for his life than, than his movies. That's yeah. what the documentary is about. But one thing they forgot to mention is I think the reason why he's able to do this and 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 also why he's able to be the way he is in, in, the, in movies and why he's so successful is He's, he once said, um, there's a famous quote by him. He said, I'm going to live my life as if I'm incredibly wealthy. I'm going to live right. every moment as if I'm incredibly wealthy. He said this when he was oh, dirt wow. poor and wow. nothing. And and he de then did live his life that way. And, and kind of doing that while you don't have any money. So you, it's not like 
he could go out and buy a plane. Yeah. So a lot of people get incredibly wealthy and they buy a plane or they buy right. a big house or whatever. He couldn't do any of these things. He could only be, um, he could only act, he could only use this yeah. imaginary wealth in the way, in his actions. And so he, so it's as if he was buying himself this ability to not care what people thought. And he had to focus on that because he couldn't buy material things. Yeah, interesting. And so that built up this, this Which speaks persona. to the idea of like, it's easier to act your way into a way of thinking than think your way into a way of acting. You know? Wait, wait, wait. Is it easier to act your way? Into yes. Way, you know, and to like... Act your way into a way of thinking as opposed to think your way into a way of acting. So you can't tell yourself what? To give me an example. You can't say, um, hey, I'm gonna get the courage to go in the boxing ring and start boxing. It's easier to do it. And then you have... It's easier to say oh, I'm going to spend months trying to get up on stage and to do it, it's easier to get up on stage and then, right. you know, which and, you would know a lot better than I do, which I commend you, you know, um, and it's even scary. when days people aren't slapping their knees and falling over their chair. What are you talking about? <laughs> Every time I go up, I would say, I, you haven't No, you're good. No, you, I swear, you're good. I tell people I all was the time. Just, like, I just was in LA before doing I'm saying comedy. Not every day is Purim. Like some days it's, you know, some days you're the windshield, some days you're the bug, some days you're drinking wine, some days you're crushing grapes. For every comedian, Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle will tell you. Yeah, That's yeah. all I'm saying. It, 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 and it's interesting because the very first time I did stand-up, uh, I mean, I had done public speaking in sort of a stand-up style for a while, but the very first time I did actual stand-up where your job is to go up there and make people laugh as opposed to your job, like public speaking, your job is to go up there and talk about something that people want to hear about. And then you can make jokes and people laugh. And even if it's a stand-up style, it's still not quite stand-up because the audience is pleasantly surprised that you're making them laugh. <laughs> but in stand-up, there's no purpose to the being up there except to make people laugh. Yeah. And so, so Stephen Dubner, from again, co-writer of Freakonomics, and and I, we were doing this podcast for a while called Question of the Day, and we challenged ourselves: we're going to do stand-up. We're going to do it at the same time uh, um, and a performance. And we're gonna give. We gave ourselves six minutes each, and I was scared to death. But I did not want. And I know he was scared, but I did not want to be the one to back out. Wow. And he didn't want to be the one to back out. So we we did it. And then I realized, oh, okay, that was possible. And then another time, I wanted to get better at just doing one-liners. And so I challenged myself to um, do stand-up on a subway, so that's all you can do. You don't have time to do anything but one-liners, and also everyone's going to hate you anyway. So that was scary. I thought I even got on the subway, and I told the person taking video, "Forget it. We're just going to ride the subway for a little while." <laughs> but but then I said, "You know what, though?" And, and this actually speaks to your point in a way I didn't realize. I told this person, "You know what? Just turn on the camera." And as soon as wow. you turned on the camera, I started doing stand-up. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and so so the action. Yeah, made me do it. If I had just like kept thinking myself into doing it, I never would have done it. No, and you also had like an accountability partner in the case of, and you, that's yeah. what you need, and that's what I'm grateful to people who are in my life who for want you to do things that are going to help you and get you out of your comfort zone and do things. And it made me think, you know, and that brings us back to one of the questions on Twitter about fear, you know. And I remember seeing, you know, where the people. I was listening to something where they were saying, if you procrastinate to some degree, it's a lack of self-confidence, right? You don't think that you're going to have good results, so you're putting it off. 
But if you think you have good, if you're going to have good results, you're more likely to take action. It could be anything. Well, well, hey, let me wait till I ask this person out till I lose ten pounds, you know, or let me wait till I do this, and you know. So it is a lack. So if you, you know, in fear, you know, maybe you could speak to that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's an interesting point. I don't think that explains all procrastination, but let's run with that for a second. Uh, in the last podcast, I talked a lot about my my first real job, which was at HBO. But for a long time, I was afraid to apply because I thought, I literally thought I needed to publish a novel first so that people would like me and I could work in the entertainment yeah. industry. Finally, I just applied and they accepted me uh, and I didn't have a novel published. Right. Um, but uh, so, so not taking actions, but thinking some erroneous or bad thing cost me two years, you know, sure. of, of, you know, I can't judge if I wasted time or not, but... I could have maybe started there two years earlier than I did, but um, but but people who could deal with failure, they're not as concerned by the outcomes, right? But, but I think yeah. but to add to that, yeah. Uh, I, and I, I'm always interrupting you, Stephen. I apologize. Yeah, I'm, I quit. <laughs> uh, to add to that, I don't like to do something unless there is a fear component. So, for instance, why publish something if you're not? Why publish an article if you're not afraid of what people will think? Because if you publish something where you know people are all going to love it, they they're already thinking it. Then they, yeah. they're already somebody's already written it. If they're already if everybody's yeah. already thinking it, you have to be afraid of something to to do to do something. So so for instance, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, John Borromeo, who works here at, at yeah. Stand Up New York, he said to me, "You want to go on this lineup at the Mail Room downtown?" And I said, "Sure." Uh, Who's performing? And he told me, uh, T.J. Miller, who's one of my, who's been on the podcast, one of my favorite comedians, was performing. And he said, "Do you want to go on before, or do you want to go on after T.J. Miller?" Now, before would be a lot easier because the audience wouldn't have just been overwhelmed by this great comedian. Um, after is very difficult, yeah, because he will, you know, as they say, he will have destroyed the crowd. He would be yeah. so good that. And he was the best guy in the lineup by far. He would he would have he would have annihilated the crowd, and it would be very hard to follow. So I said, I'm going to follow him because that is that was the direction where it was the most fear. Wow! And since I want to get better at stand-up comedy, yeah. and there's so few opportunities to do it, like it's not like you can go on stage, get off, and then go back on, then get off and go back on. There's so few opportunities to get better, and there's very few opportunities where I'm going to follow a great comedian. Yeah, I have to. Do the path that's the most fearful. That's the only way you're going to get better is by being afraid. So acknowledging that every time you're afraid, uh, in in a, you're not afraid of a like right. if you're afraid of a lion, run away. But if you if if the fear is like oh I really want to do this, but I'm afraid, that is the signal that you have to do it. Yeah, I, you know I was also uh, I'm a big consumer of a lot of this stuff, but I I think. You know, I remember we had Charlemagne uh, the God on, and he talked about his book on anxiety. And I also realized, like, yeah, I think I've always been an anxious person. And I think a lot of it's how you perceive it. And, like, anxiety could be a sign of, like, okay, those are things that matter to you, so you should focus more. Right. So, for, for yeah. instance, let's say you have, let's say there's a woman you really like, yeah. and you want to call her up and ask her on a date. Yeah. Obviously, everybody is scared in that situation. That fear should tell you love you Dr. like James. this person enough yes. that you need to 
yeah. caller and you need to get better at dealing with that kind of fear yeah. so you can make those kind of calls in the future when you really like something or when something's really important to you. Or so, make a mixtape. <laughs> which probably won't work. Or, <laughs> or again, with... Um, you know, Gary Goldman, yeah. who's been on this podcast three times, and in one of his Goldman tips about comedy, he says, every time you go up, you should be at least 20% of your set, you should be working on something. So you shouldn't just make it easy for yourself. Always yeah. be challenging yourself and working on something. So, you know, again, how do you overcome the, fe the, the fear of fear? You should be excited about fear. And every day you should even ask yourself, what am I gonna do today that is gonna be a little bit scary? not necessarily starting a business, maybe a small thing. Maybe I'm going to talk to a stranger right. or maybe I'm going to, uh, you know, here's one ask, you know, when I go to next time I go to Starbucks, I'm going to ask the the cashier for 10% off my coffee, Sure, which is a scary thing, by the way, like people are afraid to do well, it. Well, yes. There's, and I also think there's a distinction between scary and dangerous, right? Things are, yeah. Don't do anything dangerous, but a lot of yeah. lot more things are scary than sure, are dangerous. Sure. 100%. 100%. Like, 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 uh, turbulence on a plane. Yeah. Okay. It's usually not dangerous. Very few planes ultimately right. crash. Um, but everyone is terrified of turbulence. So, so, and I was terrified. I was terrified of flying because I would just think to myself, I'm going to die every time there's turbulence. And so I, I completely changed my mindset. Every time there was turbulence, I would literally think to myself, this is fantastic. Maybe this plane might be be crashing like on the TV show Lost <laughs> and I'm going to end up on the island of Lost with Evangeline and, Lilly it was, uh, all the all of Jack Kate <laughs> Sawyer <laughs> Jacob you know it's a magical island amazing things happen there yeah. and I want to go uh, it's my favorite TV show I've watched that whole series four times I want to go to the island of Lost and you know what uh my fear of turbulence completely ended it was like magic it ended like I actually enjoy turbulence now wow that's good exciting try thing. it yes <laughs> i thought you were gonna say you sing spirituals when you when you hear turbulence you know no but i really I sing really, amazing I, grace i start i start yeah. imagining myself like crawling up onto the beach like they did wow. in the, in, you that's know so and, funny and yeah. who knows and um but okay that was uh i think uh, we we're trying to do the, we're, we're trying to do the half hour podcast yeah. i don't know if, yeah. if we did or not but we we sort of answered a couple of questions and we're going to do more of these we got some really good questions but at least one episode a week will be steve and me and maybe some others and um alongside our usual um episodes with with great and amazing peak performers in all areas of life and uh, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Give us a tweet if you enjoyed it or follow us on Instagram. Steve has not done any social media. So it's this little, <laughs> I'm getting out of my comfort zone. Steve's I'm afraid, afraid of it. You're I afraid am. of getting on social no, media but for I some am. reason. And again, you're not you very social. No, but what you resist will persist. We all have to get our comfort zone. So I'm doing it uh, and I'm excited. And I think like what I say to myself is self. Don't compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20. Like, you know, like I've said to James, com comparison is a thief of joy. Like embrace the getting more followers. Right now wait, I probably will only have three followers. Wait, but, what, uh, what you resist, you'll... What, res what you resist will persist. What so you, you resist will persist. Yes. And if, if you do <laughs> what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. Yes. Thanks very much, Steve. <laughs> End of podcast. Awesome. Thank you. That was good too, right?
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 